You may be seated. John chapter 20, if you would start out with this, please. John chapter 20. One of the things that we have always taught out here is this idea that every day is a Christmas day because every day Jesus was born to take away our sins and every day is a Resurrection Sunday because Christ has risen from the dead every day. But at the same time, too, I do believe it's important to stop sometimes and mark this and grasp this and understand it. I think it's important around the Christmas season, though we do not believe nor teach that Jesus was born on March 25th. Excuse me, March 25th. It's going to be a rough message, folks. If you want to go ahead and go and find another church real quick, I respect that totally. December 25th, because we do not necessarily believe nor teach that, we do believe it's important to stop and note the time, the season, to say let's honor and recognize the fact that Jesus Christ was born. It's the same thing with Resurrection Sunday. It's to stop and say it is important to note this. I do like this quote that I read recently. It says, No season is superior to another season for the sweetest of all acts. God never made salvation dependent upon new moons or holy days or Sabbaths. A man is not nearer to Christ on Easter Sunday than he is, say, on Saturday, August 3rd, or on Monday, October 4th. As long as Christ sits on the throne, every day is a good day, and all days are of salvation. Every day is a day to honor and recognize that Jesus Christ has died and risen again. And that's what we're here to celebrate and grasp and understand this morning. So, with that understanding, with that concept, why is this so important? Why is it so important to grasp and understand that this idea that the tomb is empty? Jesus rising from the dead sets the tone for everything. Anybody can get up on a cross and say, I'm dying for the sins of the world. And they would still be in the tomb. I could tell you that I've died on the cross for your sins. I could tell you that, but it wouldn't do anything. I could actually go do it, but I'd still be in the tomb. It's the idea that the tomb is empty. It's the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. It shows victory over sin. It shows victory over death. As it says here in Romans 4, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses... And was raised because of our justification. Justification is a fancy word that means justified, to be made right. So he was delivered up. He died because of my sin, but was raised to make me right with God. Acts 17 says this then. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, meaning Jesus, whom he ordained. He has given us assurance to this all by raising him from the dead. By Jesus raising from the dead, it shows that there is the assurance that there is life after death. And we can have that life. 1 Thessalonians 1, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, here's the important part. Jesus rising from the dead saves us from the wrath that was coming. I have sinned. I am wrong. I need to be judged by for that sin. God is fair and just, and part of being a fair, just God is he cannot overlook sin. Sin must be punished. The way he handles this is the wrath of God is then put on Christ instead of put on me. And by me accepting and believing that, I am saved. It's not merely acknowledging that God exists. It's not merely acknowledging that Jesus died. It's truly an understanding that God's wrath was placed on Jesus instead of me, so therefore the fair, just God now has the punishment taken care of. And so therefore, it says, Jesus delivers me from the wrath to come. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified, once again, made right by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Knowing, 2 Corinthians 4, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. 
to present us with you. So look how this goes. Jesus died for my sins, was raised to make me right with God. He will judge the entire world, Acts 17. 1 Thessalonians 1, Jesus rising from the dead saves me from the wrath that is to come. Romans 5, 9, I am now made right by Him and saved through the wrath through Jesus. And then 2 Corinthians 4, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, I will raise up with Jesus as well. This should change how I live. Romans 6 verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we should also walk in newness of life. This changes how I live. I now walk in a new life. In our last verse. Romans 8.11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is now the same spirit that is in with me. That is what we're here to grasp and understand and celebrate. And that's what we want to do. This is the beauty of Resurrection Sunday. And this is why we are here to do this and to understand this. But, as we talked at the first service, they didn't get it. At sunrise, they didn't get it. They were perplexed. They were amazed. They had unbelief. Even though Jesus repeated multiple times throughout the Gospels, they still did not grasp or understand this. And that's the problem we're facing still today. We may be able to recite the stories. We may be able to understand what the stories mean. But have we allowed it to come into being a newness of life? As we just read there from Romans. And that's what we need to figure out this morning. And to do that, to grasp this, we're going to look at two different Marys in the Bible. Now, if I would ask you, it would be interesting to do a little quiz on this. To say, if I had mentioned Mary, what is the first Mary you think of? For many of you, you probably think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Rightfully so. Her story is in there, and she's a key player, obviously, in that. But there's multiple other Marys in the Bible. In fact, there's six other Marys. There's Mary, the mother of John Mark, where the church met for prayer and acts. There's a Mary that's just mentioned offhand in Romans 16, known as a laborer. There's Mary that's the mother of James, the wife of Alphaeus. She's at the crucifixion, and she's also at the tomb. Those are four Marys, but there's two that I really want to focus on this morning that shows us the importance of grasping and understanding what it means to be born again and saved in Christ. The first one is Mary Magdalene. What do we know about Mary Magdalene? She had seven demons cast out of her, the Bible says. She was the one that helped provide for Jesus uh, through supplies from Luke chapter 8. We know this. Mark 16 says that she was the first one to see the risen Christ. She is the key player in the resurrection story and the sunrise story in John chapter 20. We know that she's from Magdala, which is around the Sea of Galilee, and she was one of the disciples of Christ. So she has quite the story. But at the resurrection, she's not quite getting it yet. John chapter 20, start with me please in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, we have to stop right there real quick. Why is she going to the tomb early? You've heard us teach on this before. They're going to the tomb early because they were expecting to see the dead body. There was sorrow. There was sadness. This was not joy. This was not celebration. This was sorrow and sadness which was driving them to the tomb. And they went early in the morning because they had only the natural light. And they couldn't go on Saturday because it was the Sabbath day. So they had to wait till Sunday morning and wait till sunrise so they could see. And they got there as soon as they could. Out of sorrow and sadness. They didn't even have time to anoint the body. 
The way you would do it back during Bible times is this. If you were a Jew, you did not embalm the dead. You would take the linen cloths and you would wrap layers of linen cloth with spices upon them. And layer of linen cloth with more spices and anoint them. Because the body would decompose very quickly. And this is what they did. They wrapped this body so tight. That's why when you see in the story of uh, Lazarus raising from the dead in John 11, Jesus says, unloose him. Because you would have to have somebody come unwrap you because it was so tightly done. They weren't able to do this the way they wanted to. So sorrow, sadness, that's why they're at the tomb. John focuses on Mary, but there's other women that are with her as well. Verse 2, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, Jesus loved, that'd be John probably, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now let me emphasize this point again in verse 2. They don't know what's going on. It is not registered with them why the tomb is empty. We we mentioned this real quick once again at the sunrise service. Some words where it says it was hidden from them. It it puzzled them. In in the original Greek, it's the idea of taking puzzle pieces and putting them together. They couldn't put the puzzle together. They just could not figure this out. So once again, it's not celebration in verse 2. It is confusion in verse 2. Someone took the body. Verse 3, Peter therefore went and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down, looking in there, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and that the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. As we mentioned earlier with Lazarus, someone had unwrapped him, but yet Jesus, it's left there. Visible proof. If you were stealing the body, you would not unwrap the body and fold it up nicely and leave it there. Visible evidence that something happened. Eight, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Please note that there's a progression of them grasping and understanding. Because we're going to find out in a little bit that they go into a locked room. They're still hiding for fear. So they're starting to get it. But they're not fully realizing what it really means that the tomb is empty. But let's turn our focus back now to Mary. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Why is she weeping? This is not tears of joy. This is not tears of relief. This is sorrow, sadness, confusion, perplexed, puzzled. She doesn't grasp what's going on. She only knows that she loved Jesus deeply. And that love for Jesus, she wanted to be as close to him as she could, even if it was just the dead body. She's willing to go sit by the tomb. We haven't even brought up the point that no one knew how they were going to roll the stone away. They just needed to be near him, even dead. Twelve, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Mary got her attention. The other day for devotions, I was showing the boys a video of a shepherd with his sheep. 
If you remember John chapter 10, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and they know my voice, and the sheep go to the shepherd. So it was this flock of sheep, and they had three strangers come up and try to call the sheep, and the sheep would not respond in any way whatsoever. Then the shepherd goes up and calls for them, and the sheep come running to the shepherd. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. That word, Mary, she knew her name. She knew the voice. She knew that was him. 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. The understanding there in verse 17 is that she wasn't going to let go of him. She was not going to let go. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. They had spoken these things to her. Mary, seven demons cast out of her, provided for Jesus and supplies that he needed. The first to see the risen Lord at the tomb out of sorrow and sadness and weeping. Did not get it at first, but then she gets it. Then she grasps it. What a neat picture Mary Magdalene is. But we have one other Mary we need to talk about, and that's Mary of Bethany. And now I want to compare Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany. Can you go with me to Luke chapter 10, please? Now, how do we separate Mary Magdalene from Mary Bethany one more time? Mary Magdalene, seven demons cast out, first to see Jesus at the resurrection. It's provided for him. Mary of Bethany is sister to Martha and to Lazarus. So Mary Bethany goes with Martha and Lazarus. Luke chapter 10, please. The very famous story of Mary and Martha, 38. Now as they went, he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now most of the time when we teach on this, the focus is on Martha. And we talk about the Martha personality. So busy serving, they forget why they're serving. And we kind of just make a brief mention of Mary at the feet of Jesus. And generally there's a Martha that says, well, somebody's got to do the dishes. Well, that's right. But, but note the wording of Christ. I want you to focus on Mary. 42. One thing is needed. I love it when Jesus simplifies it. One thing And Mary has chosen that good part. Mary chose the only one thing that's important, and that's sitting at the feet and hearing his word. And that will not be taken away from her. Because guess what? You do the dishes today, guess what you're doing tomorrow? The dishes. So you try to get away from it saying, I'm only going to buy paper products. Yeah, but now you've got a bag full of trash. You're not getting away from it. Stress 42. One thing is needed. Mary chose the good part. And it will not be taken away from her. We can learn from her. Now, here's the teaching point that we're going to develop. So that way you can see where we're going with this. And it comes from 39. Every time you see Mary of Bethany in 39, she's always sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary of Bethany is always sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus recognizes this one more time in 42. This is the one thing. It's the good part. And it cannot be taken away from her. So the first point we see with Mary of Bethany is that she is a student. She is being taught. She sat, she heard. Now that is unheard of. That a woman would be at the feet of the teacher in that time. 
Some rabbis taught that you shouldn't even speak to your wife or sister in public. So therefore, to have her at his feet, she is willing to learn, wanting to learn. And what else can we learn from her? She doesn't care what people think. Because she loves Jesus so deeply, so passionately. At his feet. Let's go to the next one, please. John 11. John 11 is the very famous story of Lazarus dying. Now, once again, when we usually teach on the story of Lazarus, Mary is kind of a secondary character. We really don't pay attention to her. The focus generally is Lazarus. So, we know, though, the special relationship that Jesus had with Mary and Martha. And we know that from looking in John 11. Take a look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's emphasized there. Now, some of you may say, well, doesn't Jesus love everybody? He does love everybody. But there is this closeness, this intimacy that he had with them. You see this amongst the disciples as well, too. He has the twelve. But Peter, John, and James are something special there. The inner circle, if you will. So it is emphasized in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So you know the story. They say that Lazarus is sick. Jesus literally, purposely waits for Lazarus to die. So therefore to go do the greater miracle. Now at the point you don't grasp this and understand this. But in verse 5, that's why he's emphasizing that he loved him. He loved him enough to have Lazarus die. We'll get to that in a little bit. Verse uh, 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Martha is a strong personality. Martha has no problem walking into the New Testament first century Bible study and saying, Jesus, tell Mary to go do the dishes with me. Martha has no problem going and meeting Jesus on the way and saying, 21, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I don't think this is attacking, because look at 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now 25 is life changing. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Then Jesus stops and asks a very poignant question that every individual in the world must answer. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ is the resurrection? He is the life. And though you may taste physical death, you will eternally live on through Christ and not die spiritually. That's why we're here this morning. Her response, 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, Master, I believe that you are the Christ, Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, God Himself, who has come into the world. Her answer is so theologically deep. She acknowledges Him as Lord, as Master of her life, that He is the Christ, the Messiah, the One that was promised, the Anointed One, and that He is the Son of God, which He is God Himself, who has come into the world. Now, a lot of times... That's our emphasis on Lazarus. And it's a good emphasis. But we're talking about Mary this morning. 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at what? His feet. Where is she at again? 
his feet. Every time you see Mary of Bethany in the Bible, she's at his feet. The first time to be taught as a student. What is she doing at his feet now? Pouring out her heart in sorrow. Saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What can we learn from Mary of Bethany? You pour your heart out to the Lord. You're at his feet and you give it all to him. You give all your successes and all your failures and all your strengths and all your weaknesses. You give him everything. You just pour it out to the Lord at his feet. 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now we know what happens. Jesus goes and Lazarus is raised from the dead. But the emphasis is on Mary, the student at his feet, not caring what the social norms say. Now at his feet, pouring out his heart, her heart to him. One more here, then let's make some points. Jump ahead to John 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now, isn't verse 2 fascinating? Would you not have a list of questions to ask Lazarus? Would you not want to know what it was like? The Jews love to add oral stories to things. And be careful with them. They're fun to read, but don't base your theology or anything off of them in any way whatsoever. They have an extra story for everything. One of the extra stories they add to Lazarus here is that he never smiled after he was raised from the dead. Because once he had tasted the other side, there's no joy being back on this earth. I find that interesting. Another little tidbit here of Lazarus is there's no recorded words of Lazarus in the Bible. I find that fascinating as well. Not a single statement of Lazarus was raised from the dead and said thanks. Nothing. There's nothing. He is silent. Sounds like he has two very powerful sisters. I can relate. Verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus. Where is she at again? The feet of Jesus. What is she doing at the feet of Jesus now? She's worshiping. Anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, there's a lot of layers to verse 3. A lot of layers. We're going to come back to that. Four. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's one year's salary. That's a lot of money. Verse 6. Then he said, Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief in the money box and had used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but for me you do not have always. Now let's go back to verse 3 and break this down a little bit. She has a lot in this oil, in this, in this fragrance, up to a year's worth of money. This is probably part of her dowry in the sense of this is what she would have uh, for her future wedding, the value that she had. She is willing to give up the most costly thing she owns for Christ. Please note also she's at his feet. Generally you anointed heads. You did not anoint feet. You would never lower or humble yourself to that. Plus, she's anointing it with her hair. It is unheard of at this time for a Jewish woman to let down her hair. It would not have been socially acceptable in any way whatsoever. Mary is not following the rules. She's giving Jesus what should be saved for the love of her life, her husband. She is at his feet. She is letting down her hair. She's doing this publicly. 
There's so many things here that Mary is doing wrong. She doesn't care about the cost. She doesn't care about the humbleness. And she is completely, utterly unconcerned what people are saying about her. Because people are making accusations against her. Judas is. We know from the other um, gospel accounts, the other disciples murmured as well. Not one word of her defending herself. Because when you love the Lord that much, you don't care what people think. What matters most is to be at his feet. She is at his feet as a student being taught. She's at his feet pouring out her heart and sorrow. She's at his feet worshiping, anointing, unconcerned about what anybody else is saying or thinking at this point. Now I need to share this real quick because I think there's a real neat point about this. About this idea of verse 3, the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Listen to a great message by a pastor by the name of John Corson that had some great insights into Mary of Bethany. And I just want to share a couple of those real quick. First one. It says, John goes on to tell us that after Mary broke the alabaster box, the entire house was filled with the aroma of the ointment. John 12, 3. Mom and Dad, does your house stink? Do you find there's tension in the air? Do you feel your marriage is on the rocks? Do you worry about your kids falling apart? Let me tell you the secret of Mary. The whole house took on the fragrance of Jesus because she was at his feet. Take Mary's mindset. Dad, when your house stinks, gather your wife and your kids around you and say, let's stop and seek the Lord's blessing for a few minutes. You'll be amazed how this will affect the aroma of your house. I suggest that perhaps the key isn't always counseling or child-rearing classes. As helpful as those things may be, the real power lies at Jesus' feet. Mary discovered this, and the whole world knows her story. Just simply being at the feet of Jesus. Being taught, pouring out your heart, and being at his feet and worshiping. Now, what does this have to do with Resurrection Sunday? I think the key word, though, is found in verse 7. Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. We have already seen and shown how much Mary of Bethany loved Christ. Deeply. Always at his feet. Isn't it fascinating that Mary of Bethany is not mentioned in the crucifixion or in the resurrection? She's not. Now, you can make the case that says that the Bible says that Mary was there and other women. Maybe Mary of Bethany was part of the other women. I would find it interesting that they would not mention her name because she's such a key character in other places. Why would she not be mentioned? Now, we have to be careful here with making inferences. Could we possibly infer that the reason that Mary of Bethany was not at the cross or was not at the tomb, maybe because she was the only one that got it? Why would I go to the tomb? It's going to be empty. How do you know? Because verse 7, I've already anointed him for his burial. I know what's coming. He kept repeating again what was going to happen. He kept telling the disciples, we went through this at sunrise. There's at least three times in the book of Mark, in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. I'm going to Jerusalem, I will die, but don't worry, I'll rise again. They never got it in any way whatsoever. Did Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, did it click with her? And so that's why she didn't go to the cross? She didn't go to the tomb? Because she understood what was going on and she got it? Where Mary Magdalene didn't fully grasp all that, so in sorrow and sadness, she's at the tomb, she's at the cross. Where Mary of Bethany says, no, the tomb will be empty, why would I be there? Back to John Corson, he says this, which I thought was good. The ointment she poured out upon Jesus was not used several days earlier on her brother Lazarus, possibly because she was saving it for Jesus' burial. Yet she did not use it at his burial either. 
For it was Mary Magdalene who went to anoint his body with perfume and spice on Easter morning. Not Mary of Bethany. Nor was Mary of Bethany at the foot of the cross. Mary the mother of Jesus was there, but not Mary of Bethany. Why did Mary of Bethany seemingly have no part in the death and burial of our Lord? Because Mary evidently understood something no one else comprehended. Although Jesus had spoken directly to his disciples saying, I'm going to die, be buried, and rise again after three days. They didn't get it. Mary is the only one who understood what was going to happen. She alone saw the big picture. She alone understood there was no need to save the ointment for Jesus' burial because he wasn't going to stay buried. There was no need to go with the other Marys to the cross because that wouldn't be the end of the story. How did Mary have such profound insight? I suggest it was because she was at his feet constantly, expressively, and expectantly. Be a worshiper in your morning devotions and in your evening watches. Be a worshiper in church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Be a worshiper and watch and see what will happen. For like Mary, you will hear the Lord's heart and know the things that others don't. Mary of Bethany, at his feet, seemed to get it. And that's why she is such a fascinating story in the resurrection account. Now there's one last point I want to make about this that's going to build up then to us partaking of communion. And the one gospel account says that she poured out the anointing oil on Christ. That word poured really hit me. And I just started doing a study on the idea of poured. Follow along with me, please, logically. Starting with the concept of her pouring this out on Jesus' feet. What else do we see about pouring out? Psalm 79, verse 6. Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. God's wrath will be poured out and judgment on the earth. Romans 2.8 But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Wrath will come upon people that are not obeying the truth. There is the wrath of God, the judgment of sin, that will come upon us. Either the wrath of God will be on me, or the wrath of God will be on Jesus. He went to the cross to take the punishment away from me. That's what a fair, just God has to do. He must punish sin. He can't just pretend it didn't happen. So therefore, God in His fairness and justice also allowed a way of escape through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to celebrate. And the tomb is empty that shows that Christ's offering was accepted. Keep going with me now. Now, moments, I shouldn't say moments, hours before Jesus is arrested in the garden, what does He do in John 13? He washes the disciples' feet. But look at the wording. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. He, just hours before being arrested and being tortured, is pouring water. What a picture of servanthood that he's giving the disciples to wash feet and to pour his life out at the cross, which then takes us to communion in Matthew 26. Jesus says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Mary poured out the anointing oil on Christ because she understood his burial. God's wrath is poured out on the earth. Jesus poured the water into a basin to serve at the cross. And then he pours out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. That takes us to what the concept of communion is. Mary Magdalene She eventually got it. But she did not get it Resurrection Sunday morning. Mary of Bethany, it's quite possible she did get it. And that's why she wasn't there. And that's why she's not mentioned. Because she knew the tomb would be empty. And why would she need to go celebrate that there 
because she already knew that he would rise again because she sat at his feet and listened to the teaching. But this takes us now to communion. Because communion is done in remembrance of Christ. And that's what we're going to do is in remembrance. Now, why do we celebrate this? Jesus said in Revelation 1, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus has the key to death. Since he died and rose again and the tomb is empty, he has been able to unlock death. Therefore, he can unlock death for you and I to make us not suffer eternal death. If we don't grasp this or understand this, that means that we're going to have to stand before God at one time and say, I hope I have a key to unlock physical death. I hope I have a key to unlock spiritual death, because if not, I'm spending eternity in hell. Christ is the only one that can unlock it. That's why today is the day of salvation, because you need to grasp this, understand this. And this is why we come to communion, to remember what it is, that that cracker represents the body broken at the cross, which we talked about Wednesday, at Excellent Wednesday. And the blood that was poured out represents the saving blood of Christ because He was the sacrifice that took away my sin, that took care of the wrath. If I don't accept this, if I don't believe this, then I am choosing to stand before God on my own good merits and say, perfect, holy God... I believe I can enter your presence by my goodness. There is no one good, no, not one. There's none who seek after God. We have all gone astray. We've gone our own way. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of our works are like filthy rags. There is no good. It has to be the goodness of Christ that makes my bad good. That's what the term justified means. He has made me right in Christ. And I have to ask you before we start communion, can you say that you have been made right through Christ? If you cannot say that, that means you are choosing when natural death happens to you to stand before God on your own saying, I'm good enough to get in. And God has already said you're not. And you do not want to call God a liar. We do this in remembrance of what he has done. So we're going to do two things right now. We're going to quietly go to the Lord. And if you are born again and saved, born again just means born a second time because born the first time to die, I have to be born a second time to live through Christ. Then I want you to take this time and do exactly what 1 Corinthians says. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a time of self-examination to say, Lord... Is there anything in my life that I'm not living out for you? To confess it, be convicted of it, repent of it, and know that you're forgiven. If you're here this morning and you have not been able to say that I have taken his sacrifice for me, you still think you're figuring this out on your own, then this is the moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart saying there is no good in you. Just like there's no good in me. And I have to be made right through Christ. I can't stand before holy God on my own goodness because I have none. And when you come to that conclusion, that's where you stop and you say, Lord, I get it. It has to be you. It has to be you that did this for me. And now, Lord, I believe. And I trust this. And I go out and I live this. As we read back in Romans, I walk now in the newness of life. Let's pray. Lord, prepare our hearts for this. 
As you say in Psalm 139, search us and try us, see if there's an anxiety in us and lead us in the way of everlasting, away from iniquity. Lord, if there's iniquity, sin in our lives, we confess that to you. Let us live for you in all ways. Let us truly grasp and understand the cross, the payment, the penalty of sin, and what it means that the tomb is empty, that death has been defeated, Lord. Let us get this, let us understand this. Let's quietly go to the Lord right now. being a God. Thank you for being a God that hears, knows, understands, and loves us. We're here to celebrate that and do this in remembrance of you and your name. Amen. If the kids want to come in and Jim, if you want to bring your family up here. Here at Harvest, we have what is called an open communion policy, meaning we don't have church membership. If you're here this morning, you'd like to partake of communion with us. We'd love to have you partake of communion with us. This is why we start first off with understanding what the gospel is and presenting that and letting you have a chance to grasp that and examine yourself as it says there in Corinthians. Uh, The way we're going to be doing communion is we have tables set up in the front, we have tables set up in the back. Uh, When we get a chance to release you, you may come up here and grab both the cup and the cracker for communion and take that back to your seat. And you can sit there, and I just encourage you to use this time as a time of reflection, uh, listening to the words of the song, just having that time of worship, and examining yourself as it says. If you would like the communion brought to you, just raise your hand. Uh, Some of the servants, some of the deacons will just bring it right to you, and then you can just take it right from there as well. And as you're getting ready to do this, please remember you're doing this in remembrance of him, of what it means and what it represents. Great lyrics to the song here to kind of chew on and meditate on and just think about what it means and represents. At this moment, you may come up and grab the elements for communion.
Receive from the Lord that which also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, as we hold this in our hand, we remember the body that took the pain, that took the punishment, that took the penalty for us. We do this in remembrance of you. Let us eat. same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this too as often as you drink in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Lord as we hold this in our hand we once again think of you the blood the precious blood of Jesus that took away our sins. Let us grasp it let us understand it. As your word said let us proclaim your death till you come. Thank you for coming again. Maranatha come quickly. Let us drink Thank you for being willing to come out and join us here for Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Jim and Miranda have a closing song that then will Jim will then pray out when you're done. I'm just going to head right over here to my left. If you got anything you want to pray about, just pop on up. It's a good chance to pray. Maybe there's questions about uh, salvation. What does it mean? I want to be available to talk to you. I want to be able to pray with you if you can. Um, Dawn, if you want to come up and, and join me, my wife will be up there as well too to pray with the ladies as well. We'll be right over here to the left. Feel free to come up and join us. So don't get a chance to say goodbye to you. Have a good week. God bless. Remember the tomb is empty and that's what we're here to celebrate. Take care. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. Lamentations 3.24 Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Isaiah 12, 2.
Surely my God is strength of my soul. Your love defends me. Your love defends me. And when I feel like I'm all alone, your love defends me. Your love defends me. sending your son as a sacrifice for our sins. Thank you for covering us and forgiving us so that we can be reconciled to you. We pray you would always remain humble, thankful, aware of all that you have done for us. We pray you give us the praise every day. We give you the praise. We pray our hearts would remember that you made us new, have promised us eternal life. Help us to walk in your truth and our lives for you and always, we hope you and trust and give us up, give us up everything, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good.